So glad you're here today. You know, we're, we're in a series on prayer, and last week I talked to you about what it means to pray in the kingdom. And in the last 24 hours, we've seen two mass shootings, one of which we know was inspired by deep racism. And I know that people in this room are all over the map when it comes to politics, but what I want to say today is that the kingdom of God is above all those things. And you should know that the Father's heart is an open wound of love today. This is not right, what's going on. It's not right, it's not the kingdom, it's not what we're praying for. And you should know that all of us that are true followers of Christ will stand against racism, the kind of hate, that we're seeing today, the kind of violence we're seeing today, that we will always stand with our brothers and sisters around the world because that's the heart of God. That's the kingdom. So whatever your partisan political ideology around this, please know that those big ideas, they trump it all. They really do. That's that's the heart of God. And I want us to pray. I want to pray pray for those that are plunged into deep grief today who were just had family members out shopping for school for back to school I want to pray for people who were just out to have a good time and their lives were suddenly interrupted I want to pray for our nation that these things happen so much that they don't shock us anymore they they don't create a sense of outrage and profound sorrow like they should so let's just take a moment and pray before we get into this message Lord, I pray today that you would truly bring your kingdom. That's our prayer, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we see around us is not your will, is not what you want. And the kind of blind hatred that would go and kill people simply because they're of a different color or a different nationality, God, that has no place on this earth. And I pray that you would just that you would heal our nation, that true justice would, would flow into the halls of government, that, that people would hear and see things through your eyes and feel it with your heart because, Lord, your heart is broken today, and I pray that our hearts would break too, that just because of the frequency of these shootings that we would not become somehow anesthetized, not caring, not moved, when people that matter to you are gunned down, just innocently moving through life. I pray, God, today that you will truly be with us as we look at your word, that, that, God, you would have your way in this time together, that we would learn to connect with you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Matthew 6, 7 is about as pointed and straightforward as it gets when it comes to prayer. It says, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. I just don't think you get any more clear than that. There's a lot of people who abuse prayer, and I want to talk to you about that. But I want to first share with you my favorite prayer story. It's about a little boy, and he wanted a bicycle for Christmas. And he went to mom, and he said, hey, mom, do you think that Santa would bring me a new bicycle? And she said, well, son, I don't know about that, but maybe you could pray and ask Jesus for a bicycle. So he said, okay, I'll try. So he goes to his bedroom, gets down beside his bed, and he starts to pray. And he says, dear Jesus, I've been a really good boy this year. Would you bring me a bicycle? 
And then he, then he realized that, that maybe that wasn't his best and most honest prayer. So he, he prays again. And this time he prays, he says, dear Jesus, you know, I've, I've tried to be a good boy this year. Would you please bring me a bicycle? He was getting frustrated with himself because he knows that was not completely honest either. So he, he bows again and he says, Lord, I've thought about being a good boy this year. Would you please give me a bicycle? By this time, he is completely and utterly exasperated. He goes out of his room. He goes for a walk. And as he's walking through the neighborhood, he notices in the front yard of his neighbor's house, there's a little statue of Mary. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus. He sees that statue. He sneaks in the yard. He grabs the statue of Mary. He goes home, wraps it in a blanket, stuffs it under his bed, and he prays, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mom again, please send me a new bicycle. You know, there are some people who think that prayer is some kind of religious con game where you try to convince God to do something nice for you. That you have to beg and plead and figure out what angle you have to approach him from because God is some kind of cold-hearted deity that you have to somehow coerce into meeting your needs. They think of prayer like it's a sales pitch. That's not prayer. But there are other Christians who have other distortions around prayer. You know, when I got gave my life to Jesus, I got saved when I was um, in my teens. I, I was in a little church in Mansfield, Ohio. And the pastor liked to have all-night prayer meetings. And this is where the church would gather at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday and pray till 6 a.m. Sunday morning. So it was eight hours of solid prayer. So I went to my first all-night prayer meeting. I'd made my list. These are all the things I want to pray for. These are all the people I need to pray for. And I go there, and I start to pour my heart out to God, going through my list. And when I'm done, I look down at my watch, and I think, what am I going to do with the next seven hours and 50 minutes? <laughs> because it took me 10 minutes to go through all of those needs I had written down. So what I did, I went through it again, and I said, but this time I really, really mean it. You know, there was something about that church, a distortion, that prayer was somehow this never-ending monologue with God. Is that what prayer is? is? Is prayer just a speech to God? Because if it is, how many people were you really going to convince to do that? To have a speech, an ongoing monologue with God, eight hours solid. Surely that's not what God had in mind when it comes to prayer. So what I want to do in this message is the very same thing God does in his word, which is move us from the technical to the simple. So let me introduce you to the prayer of the heart. Prayer of the heart is not an original term for me. It's actually from a book by Henry Nowen called The Prayer of the Heart, which is a great book, a very honest book, a really encouraging book, and it's all about simple prayer. And in that book, he talks about the Desert Fathers and what they taught. Listen to this. In the context of our verbose culture, it's significant to hear the Desert Fathers discouraging us from using too many words. One of the Desert Fathers was asked, how should we pray? The old man said, there's no need at all to make long discourses. It is enough to stretch out one's hand and say, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. And if the conflict grows fiercer, say, Lord, help. He knows very well what we need, and he shows us his mercy. Another desert father that now in quotes said this, Do not try to be verbose when you pray, lest your mind be distracted in searching for words. One word from the publican moved God. One cry of faith saved the thief. Now, if you read your Bible at all, you probably already know this. But the Bible's filled with simple prayer. 
Simple prayer is the most common form of prayer in all of Scripture. Now, on our Facebook page, the church Facebook page, and on the message notes online that you can ask, access through the app or, or through your computer at home, I, gave, I asked the pastors to post a list of some samples of simple prayer in Scripture. And there's maybe like 30 or so, but you just need to know there's hundreds. It's a representative list. And the reason I put that on there is just to get you started to thinking about how simple prayer works. Simple prayer is the idea behind praying without ceasing. You remember Paul's admonition, his command? He said to pray without ceasing. That phrase without ceasing, it's a Greek word, adialeptos. And this word was used to describe somebody who had a persistent cough. Have you ever had a cough that just wouldn't go away? I mean, you, you, you coughed when you were eating. You coughed when you laid down for bed at night. You coughed in the middle of the night. You coughed when you were in class. You coughed in business meetings. You just coughed all day. But you didn't cough 24-7, did you? It was just a cough that just kind of never went away. It was just kind of always there, and it came up when you couldn't predict it would come up. Well, Paul says he describes prayer like a persistent cough. He's not saying that you talk to God 24-7. It's that what you're praying stays on your heart, and you find yourself returning to it at all hours of the day. It's with you. You don't forget it. Now, I'm going to teach you in a few minutes how to do that more effectively, but first I want you to notice the most overlooked verses on prayer. Two of the most important verses on prayer are virtually ignored in the Bible, largely because of what comes after them. What comes after them is so important that we focus on that and we don't pay attention to what comes before. You know what comes after the verses I'm talking about? The Lord's Prayer, what we talked about last week. Right before the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, and he shows them the Lord's Prayer. But before he shows them how to pray, he teaches them what prayer is. And that's the verses that we neglect all the time. Here are those verses. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Again, you can't be any clearer than this. Too many words get in the way of prayer. So let's look at this verse more literally and more specifically. Here's a more literal translation. When praying, do not babble. Batalageo, that's the Greek word. Do not babble like the pagans, for they are of the opinion that by using many words, they'll make themselves heard. Now that phrase, do not babble, only occurs in this one verse in the entire New Testament. And so the question is, what did Jesus mean by this? Well, it's generally agreed among scholars that the word babble means to stammer, because it comes from a, a verb that means to stammer. So get this, we have, we actually have first century prayers of pagan people. Because the Bible wasn't the only book written in the first century. There are other books that were written, and parchment has come down to us through history. And we've seen how the pagans pray. And one of the things that characterized pagan prayer is that many of those prayers were filled with gibberish. Because they considered it a divine language. Basically what it is, it's a bunch of meaningless vowel sounds strung together. This is why many translations translate this word as being babbling. So the first thing Jesus says is when you pray, don't go babbling like the pagans do. And then he, gets, then he says this. He says, don't think that prayer involves a lot of words. So right after this instruction, Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. I didn't point this out last week because I wanted to save it for today. You do realize that the Lord's Prayer is simple prayer. It is four sentences long. Even if you read it slowly... It takes 20 seconds to pray. When, they, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he didn't 
teach them to to pray long prayers. He taught them a very simple prayer. So simple prayer is is, is not only the most common form of prayer in the Bible, it's the way Jesus taught us to pray. Simply put, you and I have been freed up to pray more simply. And Jesus explains why. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, in our Western minds, we read a statement like that, and we say, well, if God already knows what I need, then I don't need to pray at all. He already knows it. Jesus is making the opposite point. His point is, because God already knows everything you need, you can tell him anything. He already knows your heart. He already knows what's going on, and you don't have to be verbose, and you don't have to go into great detail because he gets it. In fact, he knows your need better than you do. In the end, I want to tell you, how you pray right now says a lot about how you view God. Do you believe you already have his attention, or do you have to do something drastic to get his attention? Is he aware of what's going on in your life, or do you need to explain it to him because he doesn't get it, or he's not been paying attention? Is God distant, or is God near? Is God good to you, or is he not? Simple prayer is not only helpful to people who are not strong in verbal ability, but it's also really good for people like myself who can depend too much on verbal ability. Because when I pray simply, what it does, it keeps me focused on God and not me searching for words. It causes me to be sincere, to stay focused on one need that I continue to bring to God. The truth is, this is not just a good beginner's way to pray. You never outgrow your need for this kind of prayer. And it is to this day, still my favorite way to pray. So what I want to do is I want to help put you on a journey of simple prayer, and I want to teach you how to connect to God with that. And that's what this next point is about, from the printed page to the spoken word. So first, let's talk about when less is more. So here are some of the ways the Bible encourages us to pray more simply. Solomon, he wrote this, Do not rush into speech. Let there be no hasty utterance in God's presence. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. He's talking about prayer in God's house. You remember when Elijah had the the showdown with the false prophets on Mount Carmel, the the prophets of Baal? Elijah mocks them because they feel like they have to pray all day long, do these really dramatic things, including cutting themselves, in order to get their God's attention. And then when Elijah prays, he prays two sentences, and God answers from heaven. Here you have this long prayer, here you have Elijah's simple prayer. In Mark's gospel, Jesus criticizes the teachers of the law because they make long-winded prayers. Listen to this. For a show, you make lengthy prayers. You need to remember this. Your prayers don't inform God. Your prayers don't instruct God. Your prayers don't remind God of things he's forgotten. Our prayers reflect our trust and our confidence in God. So what Jesus encourages us to do is to pray simply and sincerely and succinctly. Now, here's just a handful of examples of simple prayer in the Bible. Again, there's tons of prayers like this. He must increase, I must decrease. Lord, help me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Be it done to me according to your word. That's the prayer of Mary. And then Jesus follows suit and says, be it, he says, not my will, but yours be done. I do believe, help my unbelief. You ever had to pray that prayer? That you really wanted to trust God for something, but there was unbelief, there was doubt in your mind. That's a great prayer. I believe, but help my unbelief. God answered that prayer too. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's tons of prayers like this in the Bible. In the first message in this series, I talked to you about praying the Psalms. I didn't mention then, I want to tell you now. Most of the Psalms are simple prayer. If you read them in their entirety, almost all of them can be read in under a minute. They're short prayers to God. And you can take the prayer and you can make that your simple prayer for the day. You can take a line from the psalm and pray that. 
You could go to John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, and take a single line from that prayer and keep it in your heart all day long. You can pray Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. You can make up your own prayers. You know, one of my favorite prayers, I say, God, I want your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And that's a frequent prayer on my heart. I carry that in my, in my heart all day long. You can tie it to Scripture, or you can use Scripture to inform your prayers. Here's a really cool example of this, how God answers simple prayer. This is in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Now, what you need to know in the first few chapters of Chronicles, there's a list of about 500 names. It's not the most interesting reading in the world, I can tell you that. But in the midst of that, one guy stands out out of hundreds. And the reason he stands out is because he prayed a simple prayer. So his name is Jabez. What I just read to you is everything we know about him. He's not a main Bible character. He doesn't make a cameo appearance in any other Bible story. That's the sum total of what we know of his life. We know his name means pain or sorrow because that's what his mother named him. A literal rendering of his name would be he who causes or will cause pain. I mean, isn't that a strange name to give a newborn? I mean, what was she thinking? Didn't she have a baby name book? I mean, she, could she come up with something better than that? And the Bible says she, she named him that because she gave birth to him in pain. Now, that comment could be referring to the pain of childbirth, but let's face it. If mom did that, that would be the most popular name in our nursery. You know, everybody would be saying, here's my Jabez, here's my little pain, you know. But what happened is this, is she gave him this name. Maybe, I think it's probably more than just the pain of childbirth. Maybe, maybe she had problems in the pregnancy. Maybe he was born breech. Maybe mom was going through something that really had her depressed. But whatever the reason, his name stuck to him like your name sticks to you. So Jabez was marked as a loser from birth. And he prays this prayer. He says, keep me from harm so that I'll be free from pain. Now you realize that prayer is a, is a play on his own name. His name means pain. He wants to be spared pain. So basically what he's saying to God is, whatever's wrong with me, keep me from Jabezing myself. So this guy prays an unusual two-sentence prayer to God, and God answers him big time. He asks God to break this cycle of dysfunction and despair that hang over his family like a dark cloud, and he wanted to be blessed by God. But notice he left it up to God to decide what the blessing would be, where, how, and when it would happen, and, and God answers that prayer. It reminds me of a prayer that John Piper prayed, I think that was inspired by the Jabez prayer. Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. I love that prayer. I've made that my prayer many times, carried in my heart all day long. Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. I mean, this, this is the cry of Jabez's heart, but it's also a reminder that prayer doesn't have to be long to be effective. Prayer doesn't have to be verbose. You don't have to use fancy words because it's not your words that move the heart of God. It's your faith. You pray a simple prayer like a cough that hangs on all day long. So that leads us to this last point, from God's heart to your heart. One of the most important truths I ever learned about prayer is from a really ancient church father. I think he lived about the third century. His name was Clement of Alexandria, and this is what he said. Prayer is keeping company with God. That one truth revolutionized my prayer life because 
I stopped seeing prayer as a speech to God and began to see prayer as a friendship. It's a relationship. It's not a performance. Prayer is keeping company with God. It's about bringing my heart and bringing my mind present to God. So you remember I said that prayer is like a persistent cough. Here's how it works for me. One of my favorite ways of praying is what I call prayer walking. Every night I walk between three and four miles a night. I do this at least six days a week. I just go out and I walk. So it usually takes me an hour, hour and 15 minutes, depending on how fast I'm walking. And what I do is before I begin my walk, I just say this. God, I want to spend the next hour with you. If I have something to say, I'll say it. If you have something to say, I'm all ears. If neither of us have anything to say, I just want to spend the next hour with you. And I'm looking forward to it. And I go for my walk. And sometimes I pray during that walk. And sometimes I listen the entire walk. But every time I know I have been with God. It is so important because if prayer is keeping company with God, then what you say is not nearly as important as just being with him. And since prayer is primarily a relationship, we should expect not only to talk to God, but that he's going to talk to us too. In fact, look at this verse from Job. For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. The Bible says God is speaking in many ways. The problem is we're not discerning it. Some of you think God is silent, that he's not talking, that you're on the do not call list with God. That's not true. God is speaking. We're not discerning. You see, when it comes to prayer, a lot of us in this room are spending 90, 95%, 99% of our time talking to God, and maybe 1%, 5%, 10% most listening. If you would reverse those percentages, your prayer life would be revolutionized. That's what prayer walking does for me. It, it reverses the percentages. It, it causes me to be present to God, not just so that I get an hour with God every night. The purpose of having that time is so that I remember in the day when it's hectic, when nothing's going my way, when I'm surrounded by problems, that I'm still walking with God and he's still walking with me. This is why we engage in spiritual disciplines. It's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And the means to the end is that I have more of God and he has more of me. That's why we sustain these practices in our life. Which leads to this next best question. How does God speak? Well, if God's speaking all the time, then I need to be aware that he speaks in a lot of different ways. And one way he speaks is through the Bible. The Bible says all scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This book is more than just poetry and narrative and history. It's a book that's a love letter from God's heart to ours. And unlike the writings of Sophocles and Aristotle and Plato, every time you read this book, the author sits down with you. And so we listen to God in his word. Another way, God speaks through people. The Bible says if, it's, if, if our gift is to speak God's message, we should do it according to the faith we have. God is speaking. He's speaking right now. If you've ever been in a, in a service like this, and you felt like the pastor had your room bugged the previous week to hear your conversations because the message just perfectly coincided with what you were dealing with in the moment, then you know what it's like to hear God speak to a person. And sometimes God has a message through your mate. We don't often like those, and we often push them away. But God speaks to our mate. God speaks to our kids. God speaks through perfect strangers. God will often speak through people in your life. You have to be attentive to what he's saying. God speaks through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher and will bring to mind all I have said to you. The Holy Spirit 
speaks through nudges and impressions and, and a still small voice inside of you. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. The fourth, God speaks through natural means. For God does speak in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds. So the word pray, prayed, praying, that occurs 347 times in the Bible. You know how many times the word vision and dreams occur? 193 times. If you cut out all the times that God spoke to somebody through a dream or a vision, you'd cut out more than half of God's communication with his people. So God often speaks through natural means. And then God speaks through experience. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Sometimes God will allow us to reap the consequences for our action in order to speak to us through experience. Now, that doesn't mean that every painful experience is God trying to tell you something. You know, I, Brenda and I, we had this week from hell some time ago where our car broke down, our water heater went out, our washing machine quit, and our television blew up all in the same week. And I looked at Brenda, I said, do you think God's trying to tell us something? And she said, yeah, when your stuff gets old, it breaks. So, so God doesn't have a message in every misfortune, but if he can't get through to you in his word, and he can't use God's servants to get through to your heart, and you're not listening to the people who surround you, he just might let an experience come your way that's going to be your teacher. Which leads to this question, what if I don't hear God speak? If I don't hear God speak, the first question I need to ask is, am I family? Because Jesus said this, I'm the good shepherd, and I know those who are mine, and my sheep know me, and listen, they hear my voice. God, we hear the voice of our shepherd, we hear Jesus' voice. So if you're God's child, I can say with absolute assurance that God wants you to hear him, that you're a part of the flock, that your good shepherd's speaking to you. So if you're not hearing, you need to ask, am I really in the family? Am, am I really a part of the flock? Think about this. Have you ever been at Chuck E. Cheese and there's a million snot-nosed kids running around and you're two perfect little angels and then all of a sudden you hear a kid cry out and you know that's my kid? How do you know that's your kid? Because you know their voice. You know their cry, right? I think it's awesome that when God talks about our relationship with him, he speaks in terms of voice recognition. That he knows my voice, I know his voice. We connect on that level because it's intimate. It is a deep knowing of each other. And that leads to the second reason why many people don't hear the voice of God. Do you know your own voice? Everybody talks to themselves. And for all of you who just said in your mind, not me. Well, guess what? You just proved my point. <laughs> Bless your little independent heart. I mean, we, 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 we all talk to ourselves so you have a lot of voices in your head. You have your own internalized voice. You have your internalized parent. Some of us have the voice of an overactive conscience. And until you know what your voice sounds like in your head, you're not going to be able to differentiate that from the voice of God. Because God's voice is in your head. And he's going to speak. But if you get it confused with your own voice, you're not going to figure this out. So how do you talk to you? That's one of the first questions you ought to ask yourself. Because some of us, our internal voice is shaming, pushy, it's competitive or compulsive, it's urgent, it's pleading, it's anxious, it's demanding. Once you understand how you talk to you, you'll be able to understand how God talks to you. So how do I recognize God's voice? Well, one of the things that God tells us through the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So 
if God's thoughts are not like my thoughts and his ways are not like my ways, then what he says to me ought to be in a category all its own. Amen? Amen. It's going to be different. It's not going to be the way you talk to you. Because God's thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. So what are the things that characterize the voice of God? Well, James talks about this. Look at this. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. But the wisdom that comes from heaven. So now he's going to describe what wisdom that's coming down from God sounds like. It's first of all pure, then peace-loving. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. You want to know what God's voice sounds like? It's peace-loving. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's the wisdom of God. That's what his voice sounds like. His voice is going to have a distinctiveness that is not like us. Now, if you want more about hearing God, there's a great book called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. I think it's one of the best books I've ever read about learning to hear God's voice in your life. So let me talk to you about some of the things that characterize the voice of God. First, it's quality. God's voice is going to have a unique quality to it when we hear it. Its most distinguishing characteristic is that it is authoritative. Remember when people heard Jesus teach, they said they were amazed that he spoke with such great authority? That's the voice of God. Listen to E. Stanley Jones. He was a missionary in India. He said, perhaps the rough distinction is this. The voice of the subconscious argues with you, tries to convince you. But the inner voice of God does not argue, does not try to convince you. Why? Because it's authoritative. God doesn't have to argue. He doesn't have to power up. The voice of authority doesn't need volume to make a point. Reminds me of the story of the pastor. He had his sermon notes written out. And in the margin, he wrote, Weak point, yell here. You know, I mean, it's the only reason we need volume is when we don't have a good point, <laughs> when, when we're trying to power up. The voice of authority doesn't have to power up. God speaks, he doesn't yell. He doesn't have to yell. He speaks with authority. He speaks calmly. So its quality is one thing. Another thing is its spirit. You know, God never attacks your self-worth. Did you know that? A lot of people confuse the condemnation of the devil with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse in Romans 8.1, if you don't have it memorized, you should. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation coming in the heart of God to my heart. My condemnation was fully absorbed in Jesus on the cross. There's no condemnation coming from God. The devil, when he talks to you about your sins, he makes you feel worthless and condemned. He makes you feel like you messed up and you're never going to change. Even when you confess your sins, he's going to tell you you're insincere and you're just going to do it again anyway. This is why he's called the accuser. There is a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. When the Holy Spirit convicts, which he does, he shows us the reality of sin, but also the hope in Jesus. When it's conviction from God, you can mark it down. It will be specific, it'll be recognizable, and you'll know what you need to do to remedy it. When it is condemnation from the enemy, it's a feeling of worthlessness, it's vague, and there's no specific way to resolve it. You're just going to feel like a bad person. Friends, the voice of shame is not the voice of God. It's not. And I can say that with the authority of Scripture. So when you're hearing and listening to God's voice, please understand, don't mistake the condemnation of the enemy for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. A third way we recognize the voice of God is by its content. 
what God says to you will always be consistent with what God said. God has spoken in his word. God doesn't contradict himself. When God is speaking to you about your life, your life choices, your direction, it will always be consistent with what he has said in his word. So when I hear the voice of God in my life, there are three questions I ask myself. Does it agree with the Bible? Does it make me more like Jesus? And does my church family confirm it? Because those are the ways in which I do a gut check on what I'm hearing in my head. Is this really God? So what might be your simple prayer today? For some of you, maybe that question of, of, hey, I don't know if I know God. I'm not sure I'm hearing him. Maybe you need to be in the family. Maybe you need to pray like Peter, Lord, save me. Simple prayer. Maybe like the thief on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Or like the publican who cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You don't have to have an elaborate prayer. Just sincerely from the heart, ask God to do that in you, and he'll do it. Others of you in this room, maybe you're not even sure about the God question. You're not sure if you want God to save you because you're not even sure there's a God. Give me, let me give you a simple prayer. It was given by Sam Shoemaker. Sam Shoemaker was the founder of the Oxford House, which gave birth to AA. His writings fill the pages of the big book. He was an Episcopal priest, the, the spiritual force behind AA. And he would tell alcoholics, you're not sure about the God question? Great. Here's what I want you to do. For the next 30 days, pray this prayer. Lord, meet me today at my point of greatest need. Just pray it every day for 30 days. Watch what happens. Watch how God shows up. Lord, meet me today at my point of greatest need. Others of you, maybe it is you need to hear more from God. You know, when Samuel was a little boy, God was speaking to him, but he didn't understand that that was God. So he went to Eli, the priest, and Eli realized God was trying to get a message through to him. He said, okay, this time I want you to go lie down in your bed and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You know, if you really want to hear from God, express your desire to hear from him. So in the morning when you wake up or in the evening when you lie down, just say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. I'm, I'm all ears. I'm present to you. I want to hear from you. Others of you, maybe you just need to begin to practice being more present to God. And start a habit of, of walking every day. Or in the quiet before the kids get up or your husband or wife gets up, go to the living room and say, for these next 30 minutes for this next hour, God, I just want to be with you. If I have something to say, I'll say it. If you have something to say, I'm all ears. But if not, I just want to enjoy your presence for the next hour and bring your heart and bring your mind present to God because he wants to meet with you. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for the powerful truth of your word. That, Lord, you are speaking, that you, you love us, that, that prayer is a keeping company with you. If there's someone here that doesn't know you in a personal relationship, I pray that even right now that they would reach out with a hand of faith and say, Lord, save me. Lord, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because, God, all it takes is a sincere request of an individual's heart, and you will do exactly what you promised to do. God, for somebody who's still searching, who's, who's out on the God question, help them to say, God, meet me today at my point of greatest need and watch for you to show up. God, I pray for any and all of us in this room that, that maybe we just don't have a habit of praying, that we would understand that prayer is as simple as taking a, a phrase and carrying it in our heart all day long. It's not our verbosity. It's not, it's not our fancy words. It's not that we can fill up hours with a, a monologue. It's a dialogue, Father. It's a relationship. 
So we bring a simple need to you and we carry it all day long. God, I pray that you would revolutionize this church by revolutionizing our prayer life. I pray it all in your son's name. Amen.